Thank you for tuning into this webinar, Stop Hating, Start Collaborating, Bridging Workplace Differences. This webinar is hosted by AGH University, presented by AGH Employer Solutions. AGH Employer Solutions is a team of professionals that helps employers, business owners, and human resource professionals hire, compensate, manage, engage, train, and retain one of their most critical resources, their talent. Today's speaker is Daniel White. Daniel is an organizational development consultant for AGH Employer Solutions Organizational Development and Family Business Services Group. He works with clients on strategic and operational planning, leadership development, and employee engagement efforts. He has experience with a wide range of industries, including not-for-profits, healthcare, banking, construction, manufacturing, and government organizations. Today, we're all working in a world that is both more diverse and that Americans believe is more divided than ever before. Yet we have to work through those differences every day with colleagues, clients, and other partners. This webinar outlines a process you can adopt to build collaboration and trust across generational, ideological, or other kinds of barriers in the workplace. Thanks to all of you for attending this webinar today. To uh, learn a little bit more about how to bridge and overcome some differences in the workplace. Uh, as Tammy said, I work here at AGH primarily helping clients with strategic planning, leadership development, and succession planning, the areas that we call organizational development. So we help family businesses, nonprofits, and for-profit organizations with the people and processes side of business that we all know is so necessary to help grow and develop organizations. As we talk about bridging workplaces, workplace differences today, um, we really are going to look at four key learning objectives. First of all, we want to be able to recognize the benefits of working with different viewpoints. Second, we want to identify potential barriers to collaboration as a team and in the workplace. Third, we want to learn the steps of a process to bridge those differences and build that trust between uh, teammates uh, in a work setting. And then finally, we want to understand how to translate the, the process into different situations. So hopefully uh, you're going to learn a lot of good applicable things today that you'll be able to apply right away in your own workplace and in your life. But first of all, I want to start by taking a quick poll, and I'd like to know why you're here today. So why are you attending? Is there a specific issue that you're dealing with? Maybe a specific person that you're dealing with? Maybe you just need help with collaboration in general, or you want to help someone else with collaboration. So go ahead and take a second here and um, let me know why you are here today so I can help to tailor some of my topics today specifically to um, what you guys want and need to learn. It looks like a majority of you just need help with collaboration in general, followed by uh, some of you that just need help figuring out how to help someone else collaborate and we're going to talk specifically about that later on in the session as well. So thanks for sharing. It's good to know why you guys are here and what you need to learn and get out of this. First, I want to start today by thinking about the different ways that coworkers could be different from each other. So before we start to think about how we're going to bridge those divides, we need to think about, okay, what are the ways that we can be different? Because I think there's a lot of different ways that we can be different that you may not be aware of. So let's think about that. And first, I want to do a quick activity. Now, I normally do this with groups that I facilitate, but I think that we should be able to adapt this to the webinar format as well. 
So I'd like you to get out a sheet of paper right there where you're at and a pen and think of a close friend that you have or a coworker or a significant other, somebody that you know well. And with them in mind, once you have that person in mind, make two lists on your sheet in front of you. Okay, so you're going to make two lists, one for things that you have in common with that person and one for differences that you have with that person. So I'm going to give you just a few seconds here. Go ahead and make those lists and make both lists. What are your commonalities or similarities with that person and what are your differences with that person in mind? Think about that and I'm going to help you with a little music here. just a few seconds here to on your own think about how we can be similar and different from others. Okay, so that hopefully should give you enough time just to make a brief list. Alright, so I'd like to hear about your experience. In the chat box here, let me know, okay, which was harder? Was it harder to make a list of similarities or a list of differences? And which did you have more of? Go ahead and share with me here. Um, I'd like to hear about that and type in your chat box which was harder for you, which was easier. We'll see what people say here. Similarities was harder. Similarities was harder. A lot of people, a little bit of uh, some some difference of opinion, but it looks like most people thought that figuring out what was similar was maybe the most difficult. And I think that's probably a lot of times what I see because it's a lot easier to think about somebody and immediately notice how we're different from somebody than the things that we're, we have in, in common. Now look at those and think about, okay, how many of those differences are visible or the similarities? How many of those things that you listed out are things that you can see that anyone could point out are differences between you? Okay, and then how many are invisible attributes? Most of the time when I do this with groups, people tend to focus on the visible differences that we have between people. Um, other times, some people are saying, well, they were all invisible. Um, a lot of times um, in life, I'd say, we tend to have visible differences is what we tend to focus on. So if we think about diversity in general, we usually think of those things that are visible, like gender or ethnicity, things that people can see from the outside and that they can tell that we're different on. But like many of you guys have probably seen, I'd like to give you a broader definition of what diversity might be, and it includes invisible things as well. Things that make us different are invisible and visible ones. So when we think about invisible things like religion, thinking style, disability, all of those things are not necessarily apparent from the outside, but they maybe play maybe even greater role in making us different than each, each other. A good analogy that I like to use is the iceberg concept, and it really helps to illustrate that many people um, 
have a lot of different attributes that we can be different from each other. So there's the, the above the water things that are things that we can see that we can generally think of when we think of diversity, like gender, age, and race. But below the water are more invisible things like education, beliefs, life experience, and personality. And a lot of times, and I think what happens is when we don't know someone well, the things that we zero in on are the above the water things, things that are just visible. If we know a coworker just a little bit, then those things obviously rise to the top. But as you saw in that exercise, if you pick somebody that you know really well, then a lot of times we can focus a bit more on the invisible things because we're aware of them and the visible things maybe are not as apparent to us or, or we forget about them. But when we think about diversity in general, we tend to zero in on those visible differences and maybe forget about the invisible ones that can make us different. So I'd like to take another poll here and hear from you. In your workplace today, what would you say is the major difference that causes division in your workplace? Is it maybe politics, religion, generation, race or ethnicity, gender? What is the key thing that causes that divide between people? Keep it open here for a little bit longer. But it looks like we've got a pretty clear winner here. It looks like most of you have some difficulty with generation being the major area followed by politics. And those were probably the two that I would point out as being in today's society and in today's workplace some two major issues. And we're actually going to dive into those later on in the session with how to deal with generational differences to some degree, as well as political or ideological differences. So thanks for letting me know about that. Um, that's what I would have guessed. but. Yeah, I really do feel like those politics, the political divide, and the generational divide are going to play key roles in the workforce of tomorrow. Before we go further about how to figure out how to bridge those differences, I'd like to discuss something that might be on your mind or the minds of others that you know. It's the question of why should we embrace our differences? Why is diversity a good thing? Why should we learn to get along with others who are different? Why should we get along with others who have different political views or people of other generations? Well, I'd like to explore that a little bit here. And, and first of all, think we should embrace diversity because the world is changing. A diverse world is becoming the new reality. With globalization, the world is rapidly becoming more and more connected bringing together diverse people who never would have interacted before. So some people would prefer to continue living life like they always have, but the fact is that reality is changing. And in regards to generation, we can't help the fact that there's multiple generations in the workplace today, and five, in fact, which has never happened before in history. And so that's potentially part of the reason we're seeing more of a 
difficulty with generational divide because there are so many generations in the workplace today. But let me point out a few key trends to help you understand how the world is changing specifically in the workforce and the workplace. I'm sure all of you are aware, but the political climate in the U.S. is different now than it has ever been before. 86% of people believe we are more politically divided now than we ever have in the past, and 77% believe that this division is over the most important values. So if you put those together, not only are we more divided than ever, but we disagree on the core issues that we hold dear. So this is not a great situation to be in, potentially, because there's just a wide gap between people at this point. And the political climate is one of those few key areas that we're going to need to deal with in the coming years, because I don't see this necessarily getting any better anytime soon. When we look at employment trends in the U.S., there's several key trends that we should be aware of as well. First of all, like we've talked about, the workforce is becoming much younger. Over the next five to ten years, there's going to be a mass exodus of baby boomers who are going to be replaced by younger workers. And so it's already starting, but over the next five to ten years, it's going to be an even bigger issue. Already Gen Y, or the millennial generation, is the largest generation in the workforce as of 2015. So already... The millennials are the largest generation that we have working. And by 2025, which is not very far away, three out of every four workers globally will be millennials. So that's less than 10 years away, and the workforce is going to be changing dramatically. Are we prepared for that change? Are we prepared for dealing with those differences? Second, the workforce is becoming increasingly multicultural. Last year, one out of every four workers in the U.S. were minorities. And if we think about 2050, half of all workers will be minorities, meaning that in 2050, there will be no racial or ethnic majority in the U.S., including Caucasian. So, America in 2050 will no longer be a predominantly Caucasian country. Things will change in the next 30 years and will change fairly dramatically for the U.S. as far as the multicultural aspect of things. And finally, there's going to continue to be more women in the workforce. Right now, women already hold half of the jobs. But as this graph shows, women are, women are becoming better educated than men. They're getting more advanced degrees. So how do you think that's going to affect the future workplace? I believe that we're going to continue to see more and more women in leadership roles because of this, because women are going to be better educated, and things will continue to head that direction. So as you can see, we're living in an increasingly diverse world where we're going to come into contact with others who are different from ourselves in a variety of visible and invisible ways. And I know to some people this could be a very frightening thing because there's a lot of things changing. The world is going to be very different than it has been. But these are realities that we will have to deal with. 
so we need to learn how to do it well. But just because this is a reality that we're going to have to deal with doesn't mean that's the only reason we should learn to deal with differences. We shouldn't do it just because we have to. I want to make a case here for actually diversity being a good thing. So why should we embrace our differences? Not just that it's the new reality moving forward, but embracing diversity actually brings a lot of benefits to it. First of all, there's greater creativity. In a homogenous place where everyone is exactly the same, everyone thinks about the things the same way. Having outside perspectives from diverse people, whether they're from a different race or political party or socioeconomic status, that will bring more creativity. Second, with increased diversity comes improved end results. Without diversity, groupthink often, often happens, where there's just no outside perspectives offered, ideas aren't challenged, and so in the end, the solutions are just subpar solutions because everyone just checked OK and there's no outside ideas being brought in or ideas being challenged. And third, because of the changing demographics of the entire population, a workplace or an organization that can be more representative of the overall population by looking more like the overall population is going to be a good thing. So we want to be able to represent what the overall population looks like. And finally, organizations and companies are really better able to sell to, to connect with, and to serve their customers by being diverse themselves, being a diverse company that serves the needs of a diverse population. So there's really a lot of reasons that benefit um, having a diverse um, company and a diverse um, having that diversity on your team. And when we think about the benefits of diversity, we also want to think about cognitive diversity and one of those invisible traits like we've talked about. One study published in the Harvard Business Review showed that cognitive diversity was actually the most important aspect of creating the best outcome for a group, rather than having ethnic or gender diversity. So this means that it's really important to surround yourself with people who think differently than you do about the world. But our tendency, once again, is to want to be around people that are like us. And we tend to hire people like us. And so when we think about cognitive diversity and just diversity in general, we can't just hire a racially and gender diverse team and ignore those invisible under the water areas of diversity like cognitive diversity. Really, to reap the benefits of diversity, you have to have a diverse team in all aspects, including how you think about things. And so you can't have just a team of only type A people or only extroverts or any sort of way um, that we tend to hire people like ourselves can tend to increase the possibility of that group think happening and having subpar solutions come out of your group or out of your team. So hopefully, you can see the benefits of embracing diversity and learning to collaborate with others who are different from you beyond the fact that it's just going to be a new reality that we have to 
live with, there's also some exciting, very beneficial reasons to embrace diversity. But when we think about collaboration in the work environment, I'm sure we can all agree that we'd love to be able to get along with everybody, to work effectively as a team, but sometimes there are these mindsets that can get in the way of collaboration with others. And so I'd like to talk about a few mindsets that can be barriers to the collaboration. First of all, when someone, a team member, has the mindset that they're better than the others around them, it makes it really difficult for them to be a team player. If we think about ideal team players, like the book of the same name by Patrick Lencioni, those ideal team players need to be humble. And this allows them to collaborate with others rather than doing things their own way, which they think is maybe the, the only right way to do things. So humility is really important. Second, collaboration can be difficult with people who just don't like change. Collaboration necessitates working with people who are not like you and probably doing things differently than you've done them in the past. And so in order to collaborate effectively, you really need to be open to changing to some degree and being willing to do things differently. Third, if someone doesn't see the need for diversity, then they're just not going to be open to working with others who are different or even open to bringing different viewpoints into the conversation. So it's really important for people to embrace and understand the need for diversity and the benefits that it can bring. Fourth, some people just don't like those who are different. And they might even see them as the enemy. And this can be especially true in the political realm. Because if you see someone as your enemy, you really sure aren't going to try to work with them. So it's really important to change this viewpoint internally and try to see the other person as an actual person. And we're going to get into this in more depth later in the webinar. But that's really a big barrier for collaboration. And lastly, if people just don't have the time or don't make the time to try and work together and bridge the divide, then it won't ever happen. So it needs to be a proactive, intentional effort and not just something that you do in your spare time. So out of all of these potential mindset barriers, um, a lot of them can seem pretty daunting, but I want to show you how to bridge that gap and to collaborate with others. All of these trends really point to there being significantly more differences in the future. So we all need to learn to deal with those who are different from us in whatever way they might be different. And when we're faced with this changing society, there's really several ways that we can respond. And I want to share with you this model here of different stages of diversity competence because I, can think, I think it can really help you to understand and uh, where people might be at currently so that we can help them move forward in the future if we know where we're currently at. So there's five stages, and the first is the stage of denial. So this is where people just ignore the realities of change in the world around them, and they insulate themselves in a bubble, 
and try to pretend that things will always be how they used to be. It's characterized by a lack of interest in or sometimes avoidance of those who are different. And we all probably know somebody who's like this. Um, and it can work for a while. And it used to be a lot easier 100 years ago to do this. But it's increasingly harder to insulate yourself. And really, if you stick to your guns on this one, it can have disastrous business consequences. Because if you think about businesses like Blockbuster, who were in denial about the world changing around them, the world changed and they didn't, and now they're not around anymore. Or they have one store in Alaska, last I heard. Something like that. So you, you don't, uh, you can, I guess, deny the, the change is happening, but it's not going to work out well for you in the end. The next stage is polarization. And in this stage, people become hyper aware of the differences and create this us versus them mentality. They say, well, oh, those Mexicans or those one percenters. And it usually involves a lot of that name calling and doesn't seek to understand others, but instead tries to label them. And we increasingly see this mindset in the political realm today. I'm sure you know people like this as well on both sides of the political realm. And this is not a, a place where we ideally want to be. We want to be able to move beyond this. The third stage, then, is minimization. And in this stage, people tend to minimize the differences that exist. So they might say things like, well, it's OK. We're, we're just one big, happy family. And they will downplay meaningful differences. Rather than seeking to understand how people are different, they're just going to downplay them. And while this at first might seem to be a good thing, it's actually it can be pretty hurtful to those who value their distinction if there's a difference that really does matter. If, for instance, growing up in poverty had a really meaningful impact on who you are as a person, you don't want others to downplay that and suggest that it doesn't really matter that you grew up in poverty, that we're both the same even though you're a rich millionaire. That's a meaningful difference, and so you can't just downplay those differences. You can't just minimize them and say we're all the same, because in reality, it's true. We are not all the same. So the next step, then, is acceptance, where someone comes to accept differences, to understand that people are different, and that's OK. But what they do, then, is they don't really move much beyond just accepting it. They might say, hey, that's great that you're a Republican. You're entitled to your own views. I'm a Democrat, I'm entitled to your own views, to my own views, excuse me, and let's just leave it at that. And while this is a better stage than before, this is not quite where we want to get to yet. We want to try to get to adaptation, to accept our differences and then figure out how to adapt as necessary. And these are people who have learned to adapt their behaviors to be more effective in working with those who are different from themselves. So that's where we want to try to get to, is try to adapt to our differences 
rather than just accept them or be polarized or minimize them. So I'd like another poll here to know, in what stage of competence are you? And I, I want you to be honest with yourself and with us here. It's anonymous, but I just want to know, where do you honestly feel like you are at this moment? Are you in denial? Are you polarized of differences? Are you minimizing them? Have you moved to acceptance? Or are you really doing well at trying to adapt? And pretty much half of you say that you're at the, that acceptance stage where you feel like, yeah, I'm, um, I accept that there's differences, but maybe I don't do much to move beyond that. Quarter of you say minimization. You're minimizing those differences, and I think that's uh, where a lot of people can tend to be in not realizing that um, the harm that they might be doing just from minimizing those. Some of you already moved to adaptation, and there's a few that are on the lower scale. I think that's fine. Be honest with where you're at. Hopefully, we can maybe move on up from where you're at through uh, the next steps that we're going to cover here. So question then becomes, from wherever you're at on that scale, how do we move towards that adaptation, towards collaborating with others and working well as a team that's made up of different people? So I'd like to cover just a brief overview of a simple four-step process for doing that, and then we're going to dive deeper into the specifics. First, in order to move towards that collaboration, we've got to understand the other person, their viewpoint, and their intentions. After we've done that, we'll be able to discover some common ground with them, which allows us to make some kind of connection, to connect with them around a shared interest or just as a person. Then we can feel more comfortable adapting to adjust how we might want to do something so that we can work together with someone who's different from us. So that's the brief four-step process. And I want to dive into this process more in detail here about how we can actually do each of these steps. So we're starting to get into really the actionable part here of the webinar. So in order to better understand the other person, that first step that's a foundation and a key, you got to think about the old saying, before you criticize somebody, walk a mile in their shoes. You could get to know them. You can ask questions. You can listen with an open mind. You could even do some research to better understand where they're coming from and what experiences have shaped them in their past. But really behind all of it is trying to understand their intent. Why might they hold that belief? Because when we think about it, everyone is a rational human being, and their behavior, what they do, makes sense to them in some way. So we've got to try and understand their thinking and understand where they're coming from. And if you can't figure it out, you can always ask them to explain why they think that or why they did that. But a lot of times when we're trying to understand the other person, we can misinterpret others' intentions. And there's a term in psychology that helps to explain this that's called the fundamental attribution error. Kind of a fancy term, but let me share an example of how this usually works. 
because I'm sure you will relate with it. So at one time or another, all of us have been driving on the highway, just minding our own business, when all of a sudden some guy zooms around us and cuts you off. And what happens? Well, I don't know about you, but I usually get mad. I call them a name. I think, you know, how dare that jerk drive like that? He's going to kill somebody, and he's completely inconsiderate, and I want to say things and do things I probably shouldn't. And I'm sure you all probably have had similar experiences because road rage is a real thing, right? We, this happens quite often. But now consider a different situation. You're driving down the highway, singing along to your favorite song on the radio, then all of a sudden you realize that you're about to miss your exit. So you check your mirrors quickly and you get over just in time to make the exit and oops, you accidentally cut off some other car. Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. I just wasn't paying attention, made a mistake. Sorry, I'm not a jerk. I just forgot, right? But wait a second, didn't you just do the exact same thing that that jerk did in the first scenario? Well, yeah, you did, but that guy was an idiot. I'm not an idiot. You see, we tend to attribute positive intentions to our own actions, and we think, oh, well, we just had a mistake or forgot something, and we tend to assume the worst intentions of others, that oh, they're a jerk and they did that on purpose. And I find that this happens all the time with people at work, in home life where we tend to assume and maybe misinterpret somebody else's intentions because it's human nature. We just tend to assume the best of ourselves and don't give others the benefit of the doubt. But we have to fight that. We have to actually give others the benefit of the doubt and not assume the worst of them. So understanding other people is really the foundation and cornerstone to this and that fundamental attribution error can really um, hurt things pretty easily. Next, it's important to find some common ground. It can be really hard to relate with somebody who's completely opposite of you in every way. And I'm sure you probably know somebody like that. You may not even think that there is any common ground with a coworker. Don't understand them at all. But you start asking questions, I'm sure that you can find something. Think about your history. Think about your experiences, about your background. Do you have similar families or a similar education or heritage? Well, if not, what about your interests? Do you both enjoy golfing or do you root for the same sports team or do you both love music theater or you like woodworking or some interests? Maybe none of those things um, are common, but if nothing else, you can find common ground in the desires that you have. Maybe both of you just share a common desire for a profitable company, or you both want a great community to raise your kids in, or you want um, a strong society or, or something like that. If you have those common desires, that is at least some common ground that you can share. And once you find something that you both can agree on and you have some of that common ground, then you can make a connection and establish that common ground with people. Ask them questions and show them, show interest in things that they care about. 
learn about their family, go to lunch and talk about a work project, or go to lunch and don't talk about work at all, or do a work project together, or an, attend an event together. As you connect with that other person, even in just the smallest little way, you begin to see them more as a human being and less as just that guy who's different than me and we don't get along. And I can't believe he would believe that. That's really what we're trying to get at is making that connection as fellow human beings. Then you'll better be able to adapt and you'll actually maybe want to adapt. And this is the final stage of that diversity competence. Not just being aware of the difference and being okay with it, but actively being willing to adapt as needed in order to function better as a team. Go out of your way to understand the other person and to understand what they would prefer to do. And express your desire to adapt. Tell them that you'd like to meet them halfway. Now, some of you might be thinking here, well, that's just fine, um, but I'm, I'm not going to do every, all the work myself. Well, I'm not telling you to lose your identity here or to become somebody else that is not who you are, but I'm saying that you should be willing to adapt out of your comfort zone, that you should be willing to do things differently. So it might look something like this. You could say, hey, Bob, I know that you're really passionate about eating healthy. And as you know, I, I haven't really cared much for that in the past. I love junk food. But I was wondering if you'd want to grab lunch this week at one of your favorite healthy places. And maybe you can tell me a little bit more about uh, healthy food and why I should, be, should care more about it. You can take that first step to bridge the gap. Get out of your comfort zone a little bit. But um, it's something that you can do, and you're not um, being ingenuine to yourself. You're just taking that first step. OK, so let's take a look here at a few examples and see how this might practically work in real life. Most of the current divides in the workplace have to do with ideologies. Um, so we need to learn to work with others who hold different viewpoints than ourselves. And as you know, one of the most heated divides in the office usually revolves around sports. Well, actually not usually, but one company that I have uh, worked with in the past outlawed conversations about sports because it had gotten out of hand so many times and they just couldn't deal with it. These are some of our local colleges here in Wichita in Kansas, but there really are some pretty bitter rivalries out there, so sports can be a pretty uh, heated topic of contention, but more often, in terms of ideology, there's a few other areas, and specifically politics, like we had mentioned before. So how can we work with someone who has diametrically opposed political views from you? Do we just not talk about it? I think that's what a lot of people do today. We just don't bring up politics. But I truly do think that you can come to an understanding and appreciate someone who has opposing views from you. You just have to go back to their intent. So think about this. Okay, why might a Democrat support expanding Medicare? Well, 
They want to expand Medicare so that people can get medical coverage. Now, you can probably agree, everyone can agree that people having medical care is a good thing, right? We can agree about that. Maybe we disagree with how they should get that care, or what it should actually look like, but at least we can get back to the heart of the issue and agree, yeah, we all think people having medical, medical care is really a good thing. So we can understand where that Democrat might be coming from. Or we can think, why might a Republican want to cut taxes for the rich? They have a lot of money. Why do they need a tax break? Well, they might think that they, the best way to see the economy grow is to provide tax relief for the rich. And so they want to see the economy grow and provide a better life for us all. We can all agree that a growing economy is a good thing, right? Maybe we disagree on the, the means to get there, but at least we understand where they're coming from and understand their intent in holding that belief. Once again, got to see each other as human beings who ha share similar interests and have similar intents. Maybe we disagree about the means to get there. Another issue here is our health issues. You know, questions like, is it okay to vaccinate or not? Do we need to eat organic foods or should we all be vegan? Some people feel very passionately about some of those things. And we can disagree about those things sometimes. But if we go back to the intent here, the intent is that all of these are ways that we can have a healthy life and to have a healthy family. And we can all agree on that intent and all agree that those are good things. Maybe we agree to disagree on the means to getting there. But once again, we can see each other as people, as humans. A really tricky one sometimes is religion and ethics because people have very deep-seated beliefs that they hold and the absolute truth claims in many religions make it difficult sometimes for people to even think about working with somebody who holds a different viewpoint than them. And in working with people from diverse religious backgrounds, I'm not telling anybody to disregard their deeply held beliefs because that, I think, can be a great thing. And it's not necessarily necessary to collaborate to disregard your own beliefs. Anyone can hold on to their beliefs while still understanding and appreciating someone else's religious convictions. For example, if I'm a Christian, I could very well appreciate the religious efforts of a Hindu coworker, all the while not agreeing with them on those beliefs, but still understand and appreciate what they're trying to do and see them as a person. Whatever ideological belief, you need to seek to understand where they're coming from, why they might believe the way that they do. Figure out their intent. Because, like I said, everyone's behavior makes sense to them. So seek to figure out what their intention is. And like I said, usually you can agree that their intent is good, even if you don't agree with their method. Another major division in today's workplace is that generational divide like we've talked about. And there's quite a few resources out there that 
specifically look at how to deal with generational differences. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time here because there are those out there and I'd be happy to share those with you. But I do want to get into a few key resources here or key issues that we can talk about to give you some uh, an approach to deal with generational differences. There's five main generations in the workplace today, which, like I said before, gives a lot of opportunities for misunderstanding and conflict between those generations. So I'd like to take another poll here just to better understand where you're coming from and who we're dealing with. Which generation would you consider yourself a part of? Baby boomer, which would be 46 to 64, Generation X, 64 to 1980, Millennial, 1980 to 1997, or Gen Z, being born after 1997. Looks like quite a few baby boomers and Gen Xers, a handful of millennials, and maybe just a couple Gen Zers. Um, so good to see that there's a cross-section here. But uh, baby boomers and Gen X, I feel like, um, might have more of that difficulty understanding those millennials and those new people coming into the workforce. So we'll talk about here how to deal with some of these issues that a lot of times millennials come up with. And uh, one of those main ones, the first one that a lot of times comes up is dress code, dress code at work. And there's really some pretty big differences of opinion between generations about the dress code. So let's apply this process to that divide. First, we've got to seek to understand the other person. So let's think, why might baby boomers want a formal dress code? Well, maybe they want to appear professional to clients. Okay, well, we all want to appear professional, right? So I think we can all agree with that and understand where baby boomers are coming from. Okay, let's think about millennials. Why might millennials want an informal dress code? Well, I don't know. Maybe they want to be more comfortable. Well, that's good. We all, can, we all like being comfortable. Uh, maybe we can debate whether that's a good thing at work or not. But uh, we can at least understand where everyone's coming from. But can those two things coexist? Or what do we do when there's two things that are in conflict and we can't figure out what to do? Well, I like the solution that the book Sticking Points by Hayden Shaw gives. First, you've got to ask yourself, is this issue a business necessity? That is, could it cost us a customer, cost us money, or cost us a foot? Well, and if, if so, then it's not appropriate to try and adapt or flex in that area. If not, you should try to adapt or flex on non-business necessities. So think about the dress code. Ask yourself in your place of work, could a lax dress code at your company cost us a customer, money, or a foot? And in your situation, if that is a yes, like let's say you're a manufacturing company that you have to have closed-toed shoes for protection, then you really can't flex on that because it's a safety issue. But if you really are honest and think about it and the dress code 
really doesn't matter um, if that wouldn't hurt uh, you losing a customer, money, or a foot, then maybe it's not a, bit a business necessity and you should be willing to flex. For instance, if you're at a call center and you never see clients, well, I don't know, is that a business necessity that you wear formal, uh, have a formal dress code? It's a question for you to ask yourself and, and figure out in your own company. Another generational divide is the idea of work ethic. Baby boomers oftentimes feel like everyone should work long, hard hours, maybe because that's what they had to do. And I know we can all appreciate a good work ethic and commitment to doing a good job, so we all can understand that. But millennials tend to want more boundaries between work and their personal life. And I think we all can appreciate the desire to have a healthy family life. So how do we deal with that distinction between the two? Once again, we got to understand where that other person is coming from. And let's not, especially in this area, make character judgments on somebody just based on their preference, going back to the fundamental attribution error. Let's not assume that somebody's just lazy because they want to work an eight-hour day. Let's get back to the intent a little bit more. And think about, okay, if this is not a work necessity, and you can adapt. When you think about this and you're asking that question, be sure not to confuse your work preference with an actual work necessity. Because I feel like our tendency is always to err on the side of saying that something is a work necessity, when in fact a lot of things probably are just more of our preference and what we think should be done and maybe should be done because that's how we had to do it, when if we take an objective view, it's really more of our preference than an actual necessity. Fewer and fewer jobs today, when we think about work ethic, fewer and fewer jobs require an actual 8 to 5 schedule. So you've got to consider yourself for your organization. Is it just your preference, or is this an actual necessity? Like if you're working in a call center, and you have to have be able to answer the phone during those times, then that is a necessity. But maybe it's not for certain positions. Think about that. And I think that's a really good tool when you're dealing with uh, workplace divides, specifically over generational differences. OK, so by now, I'm sure some of you are thinking, well, this is all great. But I feel like I, myself, am doing pretty well at collaborating with others, but how do I help my coworker or my direct report who isn't a team player? They won't collaborate with others and I can't force them to get along, so what do I do? Well, first let's think about what are the reasons that someone might not be a team player? First of all, they could just be selfish and not care about others. And if that's their problem, that's obviously a deeper issue than we have time to go into today. But again, I'd recommend reading Patrick Lencioni's book, The Ideal Team Player, as a starting point for how to cultivate some of those character issues in people to make them a better team player. Sometimes employees don't feel valued or appreciated by their boss or coworkers, and therefore they take it out on others by not playing nice. 
And it might actually be more common than you think because one study showed that 65% of North Americans report they have received no recognition or appreciation at their workplace in the past year. So there might be quite a few disgruntled people out there who just don't feel valued. Don't underestimate the power of showing appreciation. And if you want more on this, you can see my on-demand webinar at aghuniversity.com about how to magnify employee potential using positive reinforcement. Or you can read the book, The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. But a lot of times when we see that there are people who are not team players, these are just employees who are frustrated by a coworker's behavior and the intentions that they assume are behind those behaviors. So for instance, somebody who works hard to get a lot done might be frustrated by a coworker who has a more relaxed approach to work and they assume that they're just lazy. And so that might be a big issue. Or there's maybe an employee who's very meticulous and a perfectionist, and they will get frustrated with a coworker who has lower standards and will assume that they're just a slob or don't care about quality. And sometimes there's just a difference in personality. In all of these areas, you've got people who have these in individual and invisible differences that then coworkers assume things about their intentions and then don't want to collaborate with them because they assume that they're just lazy or a slob or um, whatever it might be. Whatever the reason that they're not being a team player, the first step in solving the problem always has to be get to the real issue. Don't just assume that you know why your coworker isn't being a team player. You need to have an honest conversation with them to get to the bottom of the issue. And don't just take the answer that they give you right away because you need to probe to get to the heart of the issue. And a good resource for that is the book Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott if you need help with that. As part of that, tackle the issue head on rather than putting it off. And it's easy just to ignore the problem, but it's only going to get worse so you don't let it fester. And if they're frustrated by someone else's behavior, once again, we have to help them go back to understand their coworkers' intentions. Once they better understand the intentions, it's harder for them to misattribute those intentions, much like we often do with those bad drivers. As we get to know and understand our coworkers, we are going to be less likely to misattribute those behaviors. And we might just realize that the co our coworker is just wired differently than we are and really has no ill will for them. So a lot of times teams and coworkers can benefit through going through a personality assessment like the MBTI or DISC for helping to understand each other better and can actually be helpful in non-work settings too with spouses and family members. And in all of this, it boils down to one big idea. The issue isn't about working with different generations, ethnicities, ideologies, or whatever it might be. It's about understanding and valuing people. If we're able to understand and value others, then we will be able to bridge the divide between us and others and want to collaborate with them. So in review, the world is changing and rapidly becoming more diverse and divided. But in order to overcome these divides, you can just use the simple process of understanding the other person, 
finding some common ground, making a connection, and then adapting your style. So as we finish up, I'd like one last poll here for you to figure out. And I'd want you to leave here saying, OK, what's the next step that you need to take coming out of this webinar? I want you to commit to trying to do something. So what do you need to do? Do you need to get to know someone's background, seek to understand someone's intent, try to proactively make a connection, or adapt your style? And I'm glad that you guys are taking um, some commitments here to figure out what you need to do differently, Taking, uh, moving on from this webinar. Um, thanks for just joining me today for learning how to bridge the workplace differences. And I really hope you're able to take away some valuable information that you can utilize in your workplace and beyond. Um, here's just a list of some resources that I mentioned in the webinar today for your reference. And uh, with that, I'd just like to conclude the webinar. And if you have questions, I'm going to stick around for a few minutes to answer them. But I really appreciate your attention and your input today. And hope you can move on and figure out really to see other people as human beings and figure out how to work and collaborate with people who are different from you in any sort of way. Thanks again. And Daniel, I did have a couple of questions that were sent in. So um, if you'd like to address those, one of them was, um, how can I help a coworker that can't seem to get behind beyond the us versus them mentality? Oh, good question. Um, I think that's something that we see quite a bit, and and really the the best way once again is to hopefully help them understand um, the other side a little bit more. So, if they uh, the us versus them mentality, a lot of times comes from like I said, the name calling and just labeling a group of people a certain way without actually knowing them as people. And so really the best way to get beyond that is to get to know people from that other label, from that other side. That uh, if you're a Republican and you really hate Democrats, then get to know some um, Democrats and, and understand where they're coming from. And it's really a lot harder to hate somebody that you actually know. And if they are a family member or somebody that you can understand and um, care about, then it's a lot harder to hate that person. And so really, I think the first step is being exposed to that other side, getting to know them as people. And then it's a lot harder to the, uh, them as the enemy, as that can often happen. Great advice, Daniel. I think this is a really timely topic, so I'm glad you're, you're addressing it. Um, I see we're running over time here, so we had a couple other questions that we'll address individually, but again, thank you for your time sharing your information with us today, and um, that will end our webinar today. Thanks all. Thank you all for being here.